it is time to welcome Freya Dean. So let, let's just do, let Zoom do its wonderful magic here. Is that better? That is much better. Thank you so much. How, okay, so let me introduce you to uh, our listeners. Um, so Freya Dean studied uh, scientific and natural history uh, illustration at Lancaster University before her MA in art and science at Central St. Martin's London. She has also studied forensic facial reconstruction at Cambridge University and history of medicine through the Open University. This has influenced her work in various artistic fields, such as designing opera costumes, character design for computer games, album covers, artworks for medical museums, public art pieces, and her work for the Royal College of Surgeons, creating synthetic body parts for surgeons to practice procedures on. Freya is now working freelance design projects and exhibitions in the UK and Tokyo, where she is currently living and working. Uh, also, Freya's work is currently on exhibition at the Hate Street Art Center as part of the Secret Path that includes works by her father, Roger Dean, who is a well-known artist uh, and is, is especially well-known for the album covers he did for the band. Yes. Uh, so welcome, Freya. Thank you so much for being here or for Thank being here in Zoom land. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So, okay. I, I need to ask you that I find this so interesting that you studied forensic facial reconstruction. Did you think at one point you wanted to go into medicine? Um, no, I, by the time I started studying that, I'd kind of got past the point that would have been a natural avenue to go down, but I'd always found it really, really interesting. I think um, one of the reasons I wanted to do that was, I, I, shall I explain it slightly, just Please. in case? Yeah, no, I, um, I'd love to hear, so yes. <laughs> So actually, I love talking about this. It's got almost nothing to do with what I do now, but it, it was so interesting. It's basically, you'll see it kind of in detective programs now and again. It's There's a big feature of it in Gorky Park, that movie, um, because one of the founders of it was a Russian guy whose, sorry, name I can't remember, but it's basically when um, a skull is found and it doesn't have an identity there's no way of identifying it or the body that it's attached to um, there's this kind of skill profession um, called forensic facial reconstruction where you basically based on what you can tell from the skull so it's age it's gender um, there was a like, roughly you can tell certain racial characteristics from the shape of the eyes and various other things so if you have those basic little bits of information you can use average tissue depths to put these little pegs on the skull and then up to those peg ends you put clay and sort of it doesn't hugely well account for fat or thinness unfortunately but it's getting kind of better and better all the time because you can find out people's skin and eye color from DNA now. And so when you mix those things in with the reconstructions, you can get very accurate pictures. And quite a few people have been identified this way. So I learned on um, a replica skull of a girl who uh, had been identified by, unfortunately, by her parents from the image from the reconstruction. And if that hadn't been done, they would never have known what happened to her. So they allowed her skull to be cast and we practiced on the replicas there. And it's it's an amazing thing to do. And I really did it because, God, I haven't stopped for breath. Sorry, Pamela. <laughs> no, no, I think this is honestly, I think this is fascinating. And I'm sure 
I have no doubt that that this has has in some way led you to the artwork that you're doing. So please, yeah. Keep, I, well, the reason that I wanted to do it for art reasons was because you just get a really, really good sense of facial anatomy from it. If you're having to build from the skull up by hand um, and then you get a sense of what that person looked like, you'll usually have a picture. And then you really get an idea about how faces work uh, when they move and and kind of how they all fit together. So for me, I thought that would be a really good thing to learn to just inform my life drawing and my facial portraiture. But it was such a fascinating thing in itself. I mean, it's like amazing things like from how far the, I think it's the ocular bone protrudes. You can tell if someone's eye crease folds in the center or on the lash line. It's called, I can't remember what it's called, um, the epicanthic fold or something. And you can tell that from the, but it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, all of these things, you know, I don't know, you never think about it in daily life, but in that one situation, it can kind of make the difference between someone's family knowing where they are and never knowing what happened to them. So, yeah, it's a brilliant thing to do and just very, very interesting. Yes, yeah, so, no, it sounds it. I'm I'm a fan of like British procedural shows and you know, it just sounds like the something, the type of, you know, they're, they're always talking about like forensic evidence. So I, I find personally, I find it fascinating, but, but what you were just saying about how you can get, I guess, as an artist, an idea of what someone looked like just based on their, you know, on their, the way their skull is formed. Uh, I never really thought about it that way. And because sometimes I think to myself and when I'm in my very, having a very ghoulish state of mind that uh, like, what, what do I look like? Like if somebody were just to see what, you know, my, just my bones, right. Or mm -hmm. another person that we walk around and we don't really think that everyone who we see is there's a skeleton underneath there. Right. Have you never had a scan, an MRI or a CAT scan or whatever, anything like that done? Oh yeah. I know I've had MRIs never of my head, but I've, mm -hmm. I have had MRIs done and I do. I, I find that very eerie as well. <laughs> It, it is it's kind of eerie especially like I don't find my bones that eerie but like when I, I've had chest x-rays that always makes me a little I do find that a little bit eerie too but it's it, I mean, it's, it's fascinating though it really really is and, and there was so when I was at the Royal College of Surgeons they were, I was shown certain things like these scanners that were being produced where you can kind of do a full body scan and see everything really really clearly and you know there's sort of no time in history where you could do that while you're alive just mm. <laughs> and one of the things while I was working there that my boss said was that you know lots of people walk around and they've got two hearts or you know their kid I don't know their lungs are back to front and the dip or the heart is back to front and nobody knows because if it doesn't affect your health you know, so <laughs> you never know what's in there, really. But soon I, I can imagine a time where we can all just get our scanners out and have a look and check and see what's happening if everything's ticking over nicely. And that'll be fun, I think. Oh, I think that's probably not too far away. You know, mm -hmm. like I have heard about things like like that where. I didn't know that everything could be detected, but I, I have a feeling that at some point, you know, just think about how much medicine has changed over the last hundred years. And especially now that we can, we've been able to deconstruct human genome, like imagine what it's going to be a hundred years from now, if, you know, if human beings are still around, which uh, I'm not 
super confident of, but which kind of leads me to my next question, uh, is that you've also done a lot of drawings of animals and insects in particular. And so I was, I've been listening to, uh, you know, just, I, I don't have a huge fascination with insects, but when I do hear people talk about insects, I find it very interesting. Uh, you know, like there's this whole other world, as I'm sure you know, and it's like millions of different of species. And that if, if human beings were, apparently that what's happening is because there's so many different animals and especially insects that we are just being like driven to extinction because of human beings, that it's can, it is already having a profound impact, negative impacts on our world. But that if human beings were to become extinct, the world would, would go back to a natural, uh, its natural ecological balance within like a hundred years. Uh, and I, I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, that yeah, I was actually I forgot his name. I will I will find out the name. It's a British scientist, a British uh, scientist who I heard saying that. But but you have you've your drawings and you've done a lot of drawings of insects too. So I was wondering if there what you know what that came from. I think I think really just I've always loved animals and insects are particularly good because I don't know they're just so alien um so really it's mostly an aesthetic thing for me but I, I was literally just thinking about that this morning we were sitting outside in the hotel and they've got this little koi pond and next to the koi pond was a little lizard and it was black and it looked like a tiny flat Godzilla and it was so adorable and it kept moving actually last night I probably shouldn't say this I won't tell anyone what hotel I'm in but there was a mouse that was in the lobby as well kind of running around and dad and I found this hilarious but I, I just sort of think like this is those moments where you see animals I think insects too particularly all the brightly colored ones it's such it's such a magical thing and I thought I get the human instinct to want to grab it and put it in a box and look at it forever until it wilts and dies and grab another one. And I just thought that's so what we do though, you know, if, <laughs> and, and art is kind of a way of doing that without hurting them. You know, you can grab them and look at how they work and in a way sort of keep them forever without having to go anywhere near them. So it's that sort of, it's really being involved with it, looking at it, looking at how they move and spending time with it without having to affect its little life, which is what I enjoy. I, I don't know anything about them, really. I'm I'm not, you know, uh, I don't know what you call that. Um, oh, it's, um, <laughs> I, I, it's like on the tip of my tongue. It will come to me later. But yeah, that's. I, I know it. the stamp one is philately, but I can't remember what the beetle one is I love them but I don't know anything about them it's really about that instinct of wanting to keep them and look at them but yeah from a distance for yeah. me so you you grew up in the UK correct yes yeah. yeah and I I did a little like snooping around and knowing that I was going to interview you I was going to do some homework on this I wasn't stalking I was just you know researching <laughs> and uh but I heard you say and I think I might've read this too, that you went to like a Rudolf Steiner school. Was that an, a Waldorf school? Well, I, when I was little, I was just called them Steiner, but I, I don't know what the difference between Waldorf or Waldorf Steiner or Steiner is. So I guess, and at least in the US, uh, Waldorf schools are, it's a, uh, it's a very different, and this is of what I know about, it's a different way of thinking about uh, 
it's a much looser way of thinking about education. So like, for instance, I know that kids that I've, people I know whose kids have gone to Waldorf schools, like kids will sometimes play in the mud. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a very different, more interactive way of, uh, of education. And um, I mean, I actually studied education a few years ago. I went back to school and got a degree in it and we looked at a lot of alternative education programs, but we didn't really, it wasn't really so much looking at that, but it's the idea is that there are like a lot of different types of learning. And like, this is one form of, of learning and a way of, of uh, inspiring curiosity, uh, inspiring curiosity about the world. Um, so I know like that, that's part of it with Waldorf schools. What's kind of interesting is uh, I have, you know, the other life I have is being in the wine industry and biodynamic viticulture is, you know, has become pretty popular over the last few years. And it's, it's based on centuries of, of practices and Rudolf Steiner basically in a sense, just codified it. He didn't invent it, but in some ways is credited with it. And I anyway, know we don't need to go that much into Steiner, but God, I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. No, ch ch oh, check it out. It, it's very interesting. The whole idea behind biodynamics. Oh, like biodynamics. Yes. Right. No, you I know, did know yeah. about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, and some people take it, not to, there, there's some, there was also this very mystical uh, side of it too. And so I know winemakers and growers who are full on into it and others who just, who just think a lot of the practices and the basic overall philosophy of what you take out of the earth, you should be putting back in. Makes sense. But just getting back to your schooling. And I, I was wondering about, you know, that as you like, and you were saying that people should be taught to, you know, they should, they should be taught to learn like what they enjoy and not necessarily what you're told that you, you should enjoy. Uh, and I'm just wondering how much you feel like this has influenced the work that you've done, because it sounds to me like you don't have a classic, your classical art background and that you, you have parents who are artists, right? But you've like by, you've done some really interesting, you've taken some side steps that have been really interesting so i'm just wondering how all of this has brought you to the work that you're creating right now so i think in terms of like the medical illustration and the scientific illustration that that's well i sort of think of that as quite classical art training and the fact that art schools don't really do it like now contemporary art schools don't do so much of that. I kind of wonder sometimes what they are doing because um, I didn't go to one. But I, but I do think, well, if you're not doing the the observed stuff, I, I'm not really sure what's going on. But I, I knew I wanted to do that. Um, the the Steiner School. I think Mum said the reason she wanted me to go there, or the reason it appealed to her, because they were looking around, was that they went to lots of kind of very British schools with little tiny uniforms and little children with their hair done in little pigtails and perfectly and everyone was very obedient and well behaved and then they turned up at the Steiner school and the kids would just come up to mum and be like hello what's your name I'm Bethany and, <laughs> and sort of just be very confident and no self-consciousness um not badly behaved but just very self-possessed and happy and so my mum thought well whatever's going on learning wise 
you know that seems like a good place to be for a child if they can grow you know some confidence about themselves um and I and I would say like when I look at a lot of my peers who went to the Steiner schools they've all done pretty much exactly what they wanted to um you know I can't I when I think about uh, you know they're all a lot mostly in the creative industry but not necessarily in the sciences too and I would say that for Steiner education it doesn't give you qualms about what you should or shouldn't do it basically gives you this kind of sense of well if this is your thing then go for it um, and I think a lot of British education is a little bit more like know your place these are your limitations stick within them and grit your teeth for 40 years until you're done <laughs> that kind of mentality yeah I actually I lived in uh, London like 30 years ago before a couple of years and it was it was interesting I, I know what you're saying I, I think that I don't think that's necessarily unique just to the UK I think you have a lot of that in the US too um, I think that the type of conformity that is bred in schools is, is maybe a little bit different. I think there's more of a conformity to, you know, to bind to the idea of rugged individualism here than there is maybe in, in, in the UK. Um, you know, I'm just speculating, but it, it's also, I would say is generational. Like I have friends who have kids that are in you know the British school system now and I see where their kids have definitely, like they, they are being their own individuals. It's really like, it's great mm -hmm. to see. They're like wonderful kids. Um, and so, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I just wonder how much of that, that's like generational too. I mean, I, I don't know. But just kind of getting back to the idea of the Steiner School. Uh, yeah, I. it's interesting that you would say a lot of the people who go to that are, you know, do be, end up in the arts or maybe in the sciences and it's and it's I guess one would think there would be this very strong boundary between art and science but I think that what you what you were saying earlier is there's actually not a huge boundary between art and science too no I have to say like art and science I can't think of a single person in finance who went to a Steiner school that I that I know of I would say there's a pretty thick dividing line if we're talking about what that education results in. <laughs> true, true. Well, but it's also like, okay, are, is it that the kids who go to Steiner schools, is it the school that, that makes them like that? Or is it just certain kids thrive in an environment like that? I mean, granted, when you're, you know, when you're younger, your parents decide what school you're going to go to. And that's that. But I would imagine that if you have a kid that's not doing well in a certain type of school, uh, especially if it's a, a school where your parents are paying for it, they would say, okay, this is probably not the best place for my kid. Yeah, well, so for me, that was exactly the case. Like I hopped around a bit and part of it was that um, I wanted to do kind of formal exams at the same schedule as friends of mine who weren't in Steiner education. I wanted to do the kind of SATs and the GCSEs. Um, I'm not sure of the name of the equivalent exams here, but sort of when you're 11 or when you're 15. So I went to just sort of normal state schools for my exams both times. And um, it was really interesting. It was hugely, hugely different. And one of the things I would say I don't think is brilliant in 
Well, I don't know. Again, it, it depends. It's a case by case situation. But one of the things that Steiner schools do is they have a small class who's taught by the same main teacher from four years old to 18. And you don't have different classes with different children. You do all of your classes with the same group of 20 or so children. And so when I went into like mainstream education to do my exams, it was kind of hugely freeing because even if you're very happy with that 20 people, it does not give you a lot of room for manoeuvring in terms of figuring out who you are as you're growing up. It's pretty set from the beginning. And to the extent, oh, I probably, to the, I'm going to say this, <laughs> to the extent that I remember we had this one lesson where our teacher was describing to us about the four humours and the four characteristics based on those four humours. This is like a medieval medicinal practice where you um, ascribe everything to either phlegm, black bile, yellow bile or blood. And so there are four personality types, which is phlegmatic, choleric, melancholic and sanguine. And phlegmatic is very relaxed, choleric is very strong-headed, melancholic is what you might imagine, a bit depressive, and sanguine is happy and cheerful. And <laughs> the class activity was going around the room and the children sort of ascribing the most pertinent characteristic to each other. And I still remember this and just feel like, God, that was a horrifying thing to do to a 12 year old you know tell them they're melancholic and then they have to be that way for the rest of their school education so and it was all a bit like that it was all a bit like it was in a way it was very effective because if you were good at something the whole school got behind you this is our this child and I you know I did art so I was always put forward for that kind of stuff and supported with that but if you were one of the children who kind of did not have a great time there and I don't know, for whatever reason, was ascribed a kind of way of being that didn't fit with you, it was really constrictive. So then I went to the school where there were hundreds of children in a year and you were constantly meeting different ones. And and I and it always made me feel a bit like maybe that's a really good thing for kids to do in itself is move about a little bit. Um, so for whatever type of education you're in, maybe there isn't a perfect type, but maybe seeing different sides of how that's done can make you feel like, oh, OK, well, the world isn't one way. I, you know, I'm in a different situation and it's very different. So maybe more in life is up to me than I thought it was. Um, neither was perfect, but I was very happy that I had both experiences. Well, yeah, I think have, it's always, if you can, no matter what it is, having an array of experiences is, I think is often good. It just it allows you to compare. And I think it also helps develop critical thinking skills when you see that there's not just one way to do that, to do something. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we need to take a real quick break. We'll be back in, in just a moment. You are listening to KXSF LP San Francisco.
Okay, we are back with Fave Radio. This is Pamela Louie, and I am thrilled to have a guest. We're having a very interesting conversation. This is artist Freya Dean. So Freya, I know you are an artist, but you are so much more than an artist. And uh, you have, you know, you have used so many things that have been your canvas. Like you're a clothing designer. You've designed, um, you know, you've designed opera costumes. You are a painter. I mean, it just, it's amazing to me how much, how creative you are. Uh, so I was wondering what is, well, like, where does all that come from? How do you decide, okay, this is, this is what I want to, or maybe it's not a decision, but yeah, it just seems like you're, you're just bursting with creativity and, uh, and imprinting it in so many different ways. So you know, I, I'm wondering, again, I'm sort of drawing this back to your education a little bit too, and, and just your upbringing, um, you know, with artists as parents. And, and I was just wondering how, uh, you know, how you got to be like where you are today as a, as a creative. Um, so, yeah, we were, again, we were talking about this this morning, me and dad, um, in the, by the koi pond, and we both sort of coincidentally heard someone describing it just just as a starting point. Creativity is something like a compost heap where you don't make a good compost heap by just having eggshells, but you don't make a good compost heap by just having tea bags. You have to have vegetables and tea bags and eggshells and loads and loads of stuff. And I kind of they were talking about literature, but in terms of art, I think it's the same. But you just need that visual input, constant, varied visual and ideas input. Um, and then you just let your mind heat up <laughs> with the chemistry and then hopefully something fertile will <laughs> come out. <laughs> it's quite a disgusting analogy now. I've tried explaining it. But, <laughs> but that's, a, I, that's OK. I mean, we've been talking about corpses and. <laughs> So, uh, you know, yeah, slam. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, everyone. That's okay. Um, there, there are just five. <laughs> I, actually, I'll put this in the chat. The only thing you cannot, we can't talk about are the five forbidden words. So I'm going to put them in the chat right now, just in case. But but keep going. Keep going with what you're saying. Five forbidden words. Oh my God. I'm so curious. Um, But yeah, so I would say, like, for me, that's what it comes down to is just looking and reading at lots and lots of things. And um, I don't know. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I won't say any of those words. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I probably no one can see this. It's radio, and I don't know if you'll put the recording anywhere. But like, your back wall is mm -hmm. absolutely full of. I can't tell. Is that books or music? Oh, there's there are CDs. CDs. Yeah. Um. So, dad, dad, mom, and dad's home is the same, and mine too. It's it. I need to do some streamlining because I live in a Tokyo apartment, but it's floor to ceiling kind of visual material, um, and and books about ideas and things. And yeah, I think that's what it just comes down to, really, it's just filling up, filling up, filling up, because you can't output unless you've got lots of stuff milling around. Um, and I think looking for ideas doesn't work. I think you just have to constantly take stuff in and then while you're not consciously thinking, let those molecules bounce around and hopefully something. But but I think creativity, like the more you do anything, the more ideas occur to you. I was walking the other day and I just saw a really beautiful cloud that I took lots of pictures of and it occurred to me that 
if I wasn't painting them constantly at the time, I probably wouldn't have noticed it. So I think there's an element of noticing good ideas or good inspiration if you're doing things constantly as well. They sort of, it's a feedback loop. That you're painting clouds a lot now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's no, I mean, I'm... yeah. No, well, I know, like, for, and let's talk about your, the current exhibit that you have too. Of, and so is this the first time you've done an exhibition with your father? Um, we have, so we did an opera project together, which was, you know, different. He did the sets and I did the costumes. And then about five years ago, we did a family show that was me, dad, mum, and his mum as well, um, but on a much smaller scale. So at this size, at this scale, this is the first time we've done a show together. Yeah. So the, the show that that was a three generation show. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That that's that's interesting. Did you was there a, a noticeable thread going through the through the work between uh, your grandmother, your it was your your dad's mom? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and your what did you did you were you able to see like yeah I got that's where I got something from grandma. Well, grandma's work that was showing was really in the nineteen forty. So she studied fashion design. Um. And exhibiting at that time was not any of my kind of clothing designs. Um, and hers were incredibly elegant and, you know, sort of streamlined, long, elegant women with these fantastic clothes. And mine are a bit more um, out there <laughs> than that. Um, but maybe, maybe if I was a bit further away from it, I could see that there were connections. I could definitely see where I sat in between mum and dad's work because my landscape work, I can see that, you know, dad's influences in there, but with my kind of characters of my creatures and my patterns, all of that sort of more figurative stuff, I can see is much more from my mum. Yeah, that was interesting. Mm. Yeah. So the the current show is called The Secret Path. Why why is it called that? Uh, so we wanted we wanted a title and an idea that kind of brought all of our work together and was sort of hitting a subject that yeah. we talked about a lot before. Um, it basically is about how. Um, there in creativity is a path that you go down um and it's kind of like <laughs> should i yes, take please. a minute no sorry that that's fine <laughs> no it's it's extremely hot in the studio so we keep the door open and sometimes people just wander in so we have to be careful about that anyway my apologies oh, yes sorry yes. um yeah, it, it basically it's about it's about lots of things. It's about how walking down pathways are a great way of kind of getting inspiration. It's about how creativity is like a secret path. You can't see where it's going or what's going to happen, but you have to kind of follow it where it takes you. It's sort of like life. You kind of in that same way, you um, can't necessarily control it some parts of it have trodden bits and some don't um 
but you don't necessarily know where it's going to go. In dad's work, there are a lot of physical pathways built into his landscapes. And because my work is mostly about old European for the moment fairy tales, I want to look much more at Japanese ones and kind of compare the cultural influence on the people but for the moment very ancient European fairy tales and pathways are a very big part of fairy tales and stories and journeys generally so it was something that pulled both of our you know pieces of work together and and was a good theme tie-in for the idea of creativity generally both of our Um, so what how was it to work with your father um yeah I love working with dad it's great um we (laughs) we, it was it was all done pretty separately right till we got here though Mm -hmm. we were just both in our studios dad's in England and I'm in Tokyo so we were just kind of checking in now and again with what the other one was doing and how we do this and how we do that but really it was great getting here and putting everything together um to be honest a lot of the work of putting the show together was done by the Hate Street Art team. Um, I want to particularly mention Renee de Cossio, who is their curator and made it look absolutely incredible. Usually Dad and I have to spend lots of time moving things around like puzzle pieces and figuring it out, but she she did it. So that was great and left me and Dad to have lots of catches up and tea breaks and talking about how we wanted it to kind of come together and what we were going to do there for various events and things um but yeah that was really fun it's yeah it's always great working with him but only this last little chunk we've been together yeah that must be that must be nice and you're here and you're in san francisco which you know i people love visiting san francisco you know, as yeah. like, and I've been here for 30 years. I do love the city. I have my gripes about it, as a lot of listeners have probably heard me say. Um, but, <laughs> you know, if you're here and just like you're on holiday or you're here for work, it's it's very easy to fall in love. I mean, that's how I, I moved here because I came here to visit and I fell in love. So, yeah, it must be nice. It's, I'd imagine it's a good place to spend some time with, with your father. And, um, you know, also, if you are a creative person, uh, there's a lot here. I mean, I don't I don't think we could pretend that San Francisco is like the the bastion of creativity that it once was uh you know 50 years ago it's but there's still a lot of that I think there still are a lot of people here who are creative um and there's a lot of really cool things to see there is there's art and there's just it's a city with culture which I think just tends to be really stimulating too um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's in itself, it is just so beautiful as well. I can imagine that would have been why so many people were inspired initially. Just it's stunning to look at, makes yeah. you feel. I mean, I, I've had these conversations with Dad before. I think where you work, like your studio, your environment has a big impact. And I can imagine artists who live here would just feel very spiritually elevated yes. by the scenery. Yeah. I think so too. It's gotten too expensive for artists. Um, you know, a lot of people have moved, they've moved to Oakland and now parts of Oakland are getting too expensive, but uh, you know, that's an unfortunate thing is that you know, it's really, if you're a struggling artist, it's really hard to to make a go of it here. Uh, that's why I like a lot of artists that move to Los Angeles. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that more affordable? Yeah, it is. And also LA is just so much bigger too. So that, right. you know, there are areas, sure, there are places like Bel Air and Brentwood that are very, very expensive, but then there are a lot of other parts of LA too. And especially like the Eastern part of LA over mm. the last 20 years has really, has drawn a lot of people, attracted a lot of people uh, because it's less expensive. The other side is, is that there has been gentrification in parts of LA. So while <clears throat> it, it, the way that gentrification often goes is that, you know, the artists move in, not, you know, just because it's, it's less expensive, but then people follow the artists and that starts to change the nature of it. But you can still find a lot of parts of LA where there are still a lot of artists um, and, and just creatives in general. Um, so, you know, that might change, but again, LA is just so big, so it, it can accommodate more things than as San Francisco can. This is a small city. Right. Uh, okay. um, so. Well I'm sure they'll find somewhere spectacular to go. I mean, it's the same. It's the same in Tokyo. There are areas that were the kind of artistic hotspots that became very trendy and cool, and now are unlivable in unless you have a very high-paying job, and then they kind of get boring again. And right. <laughs> but then yeah. there's somewhere new that's coming up on the horizon, and yeah, it's a bit like whack-a-mole, I guess. Sure. <laughs> so we need to take another quick break. Uh, for those of you who are just tuned in, you are listening to Fifth Wave Radio, and our guest today is Freya Dean, and we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, we are back. You're listening to KSSF LP, and this is Fifth Wave Radio. And we have a few minutes left here in our conversation with Freya Dean, who is a an artist based in Tokyo. So, when did you move to Japan? Seven years ago. Yeah, seven and a half years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was it was like what you were saying about San Francisco, and it could have just as easily been San Francisco because we used to come here a lot, and I loved it. In lots of ways that may have been easier because at least I can speak English um, but it happened to be Tokyo that I went to by myself and just sort of like you with San Francisco like thought I was just going to be there a year and and or briefly and then it turned into a much longer thing. What is it that attracted you initially to let's say okay I'm going to spend a year here? Um, it was it was lots of things. Um, as we're talking about art, I'll say one of the big main things was that I think dad had come here for some business. Well, here, sorry, Japan, uh, for some business trip. And he'd gone to a gallery and he brought me a load of books back. It was from the Mizuma Gallery, which is sort of famous for very iconic, very detailed, huge pieces of very idiosyncratically Japanese artwork and I just they blew my mind I couldn't believe people could make art like this I'd never seen anything like it before and there was another book that was on the left page a traditional piece of Japanese craft work like a samurai armor yuroi um, and on the right hand side was a contemporary artist's 
kind of piece of work that looked like a samurai or something. And I and I just found that absolutely fascinating that the skill level hasn't changed, but the application did. So I thought if I'm going to really get good at this, I need to be somewhere where my competition is extremely difficult to, you know, become equivalent to. So I thought I'm going to go out. I want to go to this gallery. I want to meet these people. I want to find out what's going on. And from the first trip, which was just a week, I became obsessed with it. And yeah, the artwork is still hugely, hugely inspiring. They don't have a very big art market, though. So oddly, even though I make my artwork there, which is a great place to be for it, I sell most of it here, (laughs) particularly in this area, actually. That's interesting. Mm. Well, uh, and I know that you just kind of getting back to um, the ex- exhibit that's that's at the Hay Street Art Center right now. I mean, that's I think that, that some of those pieces are on sale right now as well, of what I understand. Yes, they yeah. all are. Uh, I mean, apart not from not on sale like there's a sale for it. It's like they are available <laughs> for sale. <laughs> for sale, yes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> do, not, do not expect any discounts. No. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I've never been to Japan and I've got to say, like, I am, I've always really wanted to go. Like I actually took a year of Japanese in college because I like when I was younger, I was just fascinated with Japan. And I do blame that year of Japanese for bringing down my GPA because it was double credit. Uh, I found it to be extremely <laughs> difficult to learn. So uh, yeah. you, but you speak a little Japanese now, right? I get by. <laughs> I'm not at the level I should be for seven years, but you know I've had a lot on. <laughs> well, it is as it is a very difficult language, but the best way to learn a language is just to go and be in the country. I think. Well, I I married a Japanese man, which I thought you know that would help. Um, and guess what? You can't really learn from your partner because you just want to be understood immediately by each other. So actually the last person to have those sort of disciplined educational sessions with is the person you just want to find out what they want for dinner from um, or how their day was. So, yeah, it's <laughs> not no, come naturally. That's true. I had, uh, you know, before my previous relationship, I dated somebody who, who was French. And, and so I took some French classes and I've taken French on and off throughout my life. So I, I, I can, I can understand a bit more than I can speak, but I would go and I would want to like talk to her in French and she'd be like, no, <laughs> that's why you're taking <laughs> classes, right? But, but what I did, what I did learn from, from, you know, living with a French person was that at the time I had a very good French accent. I like people would always say, well, like your accent's great. And so people thought that I, I, was able to speak a lot more than I was actually able to speak. So you might be, you know, it could be that your your accent is actually very good. Even if you don't feel that you're uh, as fluent as you'd like to be, you might, your accent might be there. Well, the beauty of Japan is even if I was terrible, no one would tell me because they're so kind and polite. <laughs> <laughs> true. I mean, from everything I understand, that that's true. So I, we... It, there are a couple of minutes more and that's okay. I have the next hour. So if you have the time, we can go a few, few minutes more, but uh, I did want to ask you about your clothing though, because it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I ran into somebody who I've known for like over 25 years at the exhibit last week. And I guess she was wearing 
uh, jacket that you had made. And then I met your husband and I saw what he was, what he was wearing. I was like, wow, I love this stuff. I'm sure I can't afford it, but, but it's gorgeous. Um, so are, are you actively designing clothes as well? Not as much as I want to be. Um, we did this show and I wanted to get a lot more done for this in terms of the clothing. Um, I, I For me, like in an ideal world, I'd be able to make the patterns as well and cut it and do it exactly how I'd want it because what I'd really like to make is clothing that kind of makes people look not quite like people anymore, like some kind of different species. It's the same for me with tattoos. Like, um, I, I don't think I'd ever get one that was a word or an image or, or something individually, but I like the idea of getting something that looks like it's part of me, like maybe a natural patination or something. Grimes had a really cool scarification on her back, which I thought looked absolutely amazing. But um, I like the idea of doing that. And, and with kind of getting everything together, it didn't really allow enough time for doing things how I really wanted to do them. Um, after we've opened now, now that everything's up, I want to try and get a lot more in the gallery clothing wise. Um, it's not incredibly expensive. What my husband was wearing would have been because he, if you're talking about what I think you are, was wearing the Valentino collaboration with dad. <laughs> it might, it might be that. Yes. So, but it was the, was the first, expensive. yes, it was a week ago tonight. So yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would have been Valentino, which would have been. I'm very much more reasonable than Valentino. Okay, well, that's so. so and if <laughs> well, if if people are interested in your clothing, should they go to your website, or what would be the best way for them to check it out? So I was wondering what I should say about this. Um, in terms of like my stuff, if you want the most up to date stuff, or you want to get hold of me, I would go to my Instagram, which is Freya Dean. F-R-E-Y-J-A-D-E-A-N or my Facebook, which is Freya Dean Art and Design. I do have a website, which is freyadeen.com, but I am not as good at keeping that updated. <laughs> so I would recommend Instagram or Facebook. Okay, um, great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so the exhibit right now that's at the Hayes Street Art Center is, uh, it's there until October 30th, I believe. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's there until the 30th. Great. Well, yeah, that's, as I said, it's, I think it's really remarkable. Uh, and, uh, you know, having just you were, you were saying earlier about the, how it kind of came together and you, know, you and your dad had, she was in England, you were in Japan, and then you, you both got there and just putting it all together. It's one of, and I, I've seen a lot of the shows there. And I think it's one of the best shows I've seen. And as far as like the curation, just the way that it was done, like when when I walked in there, I was like, wow. I mean, the space was completely transformed from what it had been during from the previous show too. And I just, I think that, um, you know, it was really, it was just remarkable. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to KXSF LP San Francisco. Uh, this is Fifth Wave Radio and my guest is Freya Dean. And uh, we are... We just have like another minute or so, but I was, I, I heard that, um, that the idea of like darkening out the windows, that's something your father had done before, or uh, maybe I misheard that or. Oh yeah, that no, right. that, yeah, no, that was him. I think for him, and I really liked it too. It's not something yeah. 
I've done particularly before, but controlling the light. Mm. So the what the sort of atmosphere that we wanted, it was the secret path and we wanted people to kind of feel like they were going on this sort of trip and you sort of twists and turns and you felt like you were in a very different place from outside. And it was really a sort of experience um, separate from the normal daylight outside world. So yeah, we had all of the windows blocked off. All of the walls are painted a very dark Prussian blue and the paintings are lit. So they kind of stand out much more. Um, yeah, and the idea was that you kind of get drawn more into them uh, than anything else. It's the, you know, the things that you see most as you turn all of the corners. Um, another part of that, which I hadn't realised, I don't know if you knew about this, I would highly recommend if people come um, in the office, they have black light torches um, because a lot of my work in particular has fluorescence in it so you can go around and, and some of dad's too if you put the black light on them kind of fluoresce really strangely um so a lot of my paintings as well are in corners or in parts of the room that are actually very dark and lit up just with black lights so it's quite a fun adventure and it was well it was for me definitely kind of because you get that sort of two paintings in one they're very different when you look at them in these different lights and because it's all quite dark and closed off you can affect the lighting like that a little bit with these lights I will so, have yeah. to check it out yeah I, I didn't know that that's that's interesting um so yeah because it it, it is I, I think especially yeah it is like going into a different like world and especially if it's light out outside and then you walk in there where it has this like really cool cavernous feeling um yeah, it's, it's hard to describe it. I mean, Renee did a phenomenal job. And I mean, full disclosure, she's a good friend of mine. Um, so for those of you listening, but this... And mine too now. Right, exactly. <laughs> she's a good friend of ours. That said, I choose my friends based on purely on how much talent they have. That's it. So, <laughs> so the talent, the talent comes how first. The, yeah, exactly. Me. The friendship, friendship <laughs> is after that. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost has this feeling of like being on a drug and like I wasn't as a matter of fact I haven't even been drinking this this month so I walked in there like very sober very like present of mind and and it just sort of takes you to that other part of your brain where it's like this there are this sort of like this optical illusion sort of quality to the entire exhibit you know the artwork but the way it's laid out too and I just I thought that was pretty fascinating uh, so a couple of people have said this. Um, yeah, <laughs> people have said it to dad, his whole career, what we, you know, taking when he did that. But now I get it too. And I take it as a massive compliment because it sort of suggests this must have come from a part of your imagination that people don't normally have access to. And I wasn't actually on anything. Again, I live in Japan. You're not allowed near anything. So <laughs> yeah, and I pray they're very strict about it too, so. Yes, extremely. Yeah. So I take it as a big compliment when people say, you know, this feels like you were a little bit somewhere else or that they are even better. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Great. So after the show, is it is the show going to go anywhere else after San Francisco? Yes, it's going to go to Grass Valley 
um and it's going to be hosted by the chambers project in grass valley and they have an instagram which is chambers project so if you want to find out the dates and times for that in grass valley you can look them up chambers project as well do you think it's going to go to england at some point oh I don't know. That would be really convenient right. for all of us. <laughs> um, I, if it doesn't, we definitely will do a show together in England. We've just now finished renovating Dad's architectural prototype. So we want to do some events and things with that, get get some people in it for the first time in a long time. After COVID, particularly doing some more things with people and getting meeting everyone and we set up the dean school of art for this and we just want to get our students together get our artwork together and get people in the architecture that dad you know meant to be shared oh great and also i just i'm just going to put a word in for new york too but okay yeah yeah so (laughs) (laughs) i have no say but i will mention it (laughs) Okay, well, uh, Freya, I've got to say, I'm, I'm so pleased that you were able to take the time today to talk with me. Uh, it, I think that your work your work is great, but just finding more about your background and everything you've studied, and it just makes it, you know, it just underscores it for me. So uh, thank you so much. And for those of you listening in, if you are in the Bay Area, please have, uh, check out the Heat Street Art Center sometime before October 30th. It is definitely, The Secret Path is definitely a show that is worth checking out. Uh, Freya, have a fantastic rest of your time while you're here in San Francisco. It looks like you're going to have great weather. Yeah, yeah it's this amazing. Is, thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. Speak yeah. to you soon. Yep, bye. And we'll be back in just a minute.